How can companies build a sustainable future? Retailers invest in their own delivery networks. And demand for 3PL services continues to soar. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Ryder, the only fully integrated logistics and transportation provider in the industry. Ryder solutions cover the entire supply chain, including warehousing, transportation logistics, e-commerce fulfillment, and last mile. Discover how Ryder can make you ever better at Ryder.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, the attention of the world was focused on Scotland this week as world leaders met to tackle ways to address climate change. And of course, logistics and supply chains are right in the center of many of those discussions as we aim for a more sustainable future. How can companies in our industry become part of the solution rather than the problem? To address that important topic, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thank you, Dave. Um, yes, our guest today is Sarah Watt, Senior Director Analyst with Gartner. And as you say, she's here to talk about sustainable supply chains and uh, actually some recent Gartner research on what supply chain companies need to do in order to meet their greenhouse gas emission reduction goals. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Victoria. Super to be here. I wanted to start by asking, stepping back a bit and just ask, you know, what are the primary strategies supply chain companies are using to reduce greenhouse gas emissions today? And if you could, in your answer, sort of talk about, you know, who you are talking about when you say supply chain companies. Sure. Thanks, Victoria. So I speak to many different supply chain leaders. So from logistics professionals to manufacturing leaders to sourcing and procurement professionals and, of course, CSCOs as well. Where companies tend to get started on their greenhouse gas emissions reduction strategy is with those parts of the organization directly under their control. So principally, the starting point is manufacturing and looking at opportunities to reduce emissions there, you know, looking at electricity, looking at natural gas. But what's changed in the last couple of years is that increasingly uh, there is much more pressure on the supply chain to understand and then reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Principally, we're seeing focus being put on purchased goods and services, so that's raw materials coming into the organization, but also on logistics as well, so both inbound and outbound uh, transportation. Got to tell you, logistics is one of the most difficult carbon data sets to collect, and we can talk about that in a little bit if helpful. Yes, that would be great. Um, I, one of the terms that I hear a lot in supply chain circles uh, recently is um, scope three emissions. Can you um, define that for us and explain how that comes into play here? Sure. So um, we've got an accounting framework for greenhouse gas emissions called the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. This was put together many years ago under, uh, under the UN, and it divides greenhouse gases up into three different scopes. So scope one is uh, direct emissions created by the organization itself. So that's any fuel that we combust within the four walls of our company. So think about natural gas consumption or combusting uh, diesel or gasoline. Scope two refers to electricity that we consume within our organization or purchasing. This is an indirect 
greenhouse gas emissions. Someone else is creating that energy on our behalf and we're using it within our organization. And then we get to scope three, which encompasses a number of different categories, both upstream and downstream within the supply chain. So upstream, it encompasses purchase goods and services, capital goods, inbound transportation and distribution, as well as things like business travel, waste generation, of course, employee commuting and leased assets. When we look at the downstream elements of scope three, that encompasses things like uh, the use of sold products. So think about if you buy, say, a laptop as a consumer, a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions are created in product and use compared to um, the other steps in the value chain. Also includes outbound transportation as well as end of life management. And there's other categories as well. Where we're seeing supply chain leaders pay particular attention to scope three is on purchase goods and services, transportation and distribution, as well as use of products sold. So that's where many of our clients are focusing their data collection activities. In your recent work, you've outlined steps supply chain companies should take to move beyond um, some of the internal strategies we've talked about, um, especially if they have very large emission reduction goals. Can you tell us about this work and, and what you mean by uh, you know, significant or considerable emissions reductions goals? Yeah, so we're seeing many companies make uh, quite big commitments and it's very topical at the moment with uh, COP26 happening in Glasgow. So not only are countries making uh, commitments, but we see companies doing likewise. And we're seeing companies uh, setting science-based targets as well as committing to becoming a net zero. A lot of these commitments extend beyond the four walls of the organization, beyond the manufacturing and, and operations and into the supply chain. We think about a lot of goods and services that we purchase as, as consumers. The big greenhouse gas emissions aren't necessarily in the manufacturing of that product, but they're back in the supply chain in the raw materials that we need to source to manufacture those goods. And in the movement, of course, in a globalized uh, supply chain, you know, moving uh, different products around the world, that adds up to significant uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So, what's changed in the last five years or so, is that we're seeing much more of a holistic emphasis being put on emissions reduction, whereas previously companies would only be focused on their discrete activities within their organization. Now it's much more about how do I work with my suppliers? How do I work with my 3PL partners to reduce uh, these greenhouse gas emissions? Does this get into sort of what you mentioned earlier about the difficulty in sort of uh, getting a handle on logistics portion of this? Is that does that come into play yeah, at all? Yeah. So absolutely, logistics is a very difficult data set uh, to collect. So when we collect uh, greenhouse gas information for our organization, it's relatively straightforward. As a minimum, we can use build information from the utility provider. But when we start talking about logistics, we've got to think about uh, you know, where we're moving goods around the world, all the different carbon factors by different modes of transportation. We've got to think about um, the, the warehousing and how much space we're taking up out of that warehouse. And so the data set becomes quite tricky quite quickly. There's some great uh, digital solutions on the market. And of course, logistics providers themselves are able to give uh, this information to, to some extent. The GLEC framework, which stands for Global Logistics Emissions Council, is uh, really a fantastic framework which helps companies uh, to clarify their data collection when it comes to uh, greenhouse gas emissions. 
you've also mentioned in your recent work um, three strategic partnerships that are necessarily necessary for greatly reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Can you tell us what those partnerships are? Absolutely. So um, logistics leaders can't reduce emissions by themselves. And we've been really good at focusing on optimization types of activities. So whether it be modal shift or load optimization or network design, and on a good day, depending on where you start from, maybe that gets you maybe up to 15% emissions reduction, depending on your baseline condition. But we know that many um, leaders have got really big ambitions when it comes to reducing uh, emissions for scope three, uh, and that includes logistics. And the only way we can achieve that is through partnerships. So in our research, we're advocating that logistics leaders need to form three partnership relationships. Now, the first is with industry associations. So by working together through industry associations, that gives us insight into new technology that's being tested in different markets. It helps us to come together uh, with other companies and to learn and then collectively uh, work on um, scaling those new technologies. The second partner we need to work with is, is customers. So our customers often have similar emissions reduction goals to ourselves, but they might not have awareness about um, how their shipping uh, choices are creating adverse impacts. Now, I'm not advocating um, choice editing, where we force customers to receive product in a certain way. That would be a disaster from a customer service perspective. But it's about creating awareness. So, you know, if a customer's got a commitment to uh, net zero or they want to radically reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, maybe they've got science-based targets in place, it's creating visibility of the emissions associated with their shipping choices and it's also giving them alternatives as well. Lastly, I'd encourage you to partner with your 3PL. So we need to work with our 3PL partners to understand their investment strategy and to develop a joint roadmap for emissions reduction. I often see a little bit of mismatch and expectation here when I speak to clients. So when I speak to, uh, to shippers and logistics professionals, I hear the, the very strong ambition for decarbonization quite rapidly. When I speak to uh, 3PLs, I, I often hear that they've got the commitment, but the journey is taking slightly uh, longer. So there's a slight mismatch and expectation as to how quickly we're going to go. And part of the problem is, is that we're relying on decarbonization of the logistics ecosystem. We're relying on new technologies coming to market. So for road, EV, hydrogen types of technologies. And then for sea and air freight, it's a little bit more difficult because those assets are in the field for such a long time. And so what it looks like will happen is that we'll be seeing biofuel uh, solutions as an interim on that decarbonization uh, journey. So the partnership with the 3PL is really important, but we can't expect our 3PLs to achieve our goals for us. We need to be working with them and also looking at opportunities for co-investment and joint action. Yeah, so uh, so speaking of partnerships and working together, you know, we mentioned at the top of this conversation, COP26 in Glasgow. What effect might this meeting have on, you know, how emissions reduction is handled across the supply chain? And I wondered if you could just sort of comment on the key developments from the meeting so far. Yeah, great, great question. So there's a, there's a couple of outcomes which leaders are trying to achieve at COP. So 
the first outcome is that they are trying to make sure that we meet that the Paris Agreement, which basically says that we need to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees C. What we've seen in the last 24 hours or so is countries making additional NDCs, so that, that's additional commitments to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. And um, we've done you know, some initial analy analysis and modeling. The scientists have done that, and that currently puts us on target for 1.9 degrees C warming. So we've still got some way to go in terms of these country level commitments. We're also going to see through COP a uh, focus on uh, communities and protecting natural habitats. We're gonna see a focus on mobilizing finance, and then of course, fostering collaboration across the ecosystem. What this means for supply chains is once we've got an agreement at COP, that then gets cascaded through national policies. So if I just give you a quick example, if I look at the European Union, they've made a commitment to becoming climate neutral by 2050. And under that plan, we know that transportation, so including passenger movements as well as uh, freight, we know that uh, transportation needs to decarbonize by 90% by 2050 off a baseline of 2017. And of course, what the EU is doing is putting in place policy and various uh, financial packet packages to support that uh, transition towards a decarbonized economy. So COP's a really uh, good conference to, to have a look at directionally to see where, um, where countries are going on their emissions reduction journey. And then over a period of time, that cascades down into, uh, into policies. And of course, supply chains are going to be um, impacted because a lot of greenhouse gas emissions are generated within supply chains. Thank you. Um, Sarah, thank you very much for talking with us today. Um, this has been really great, uh, really eye-opening. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Sarah Watt, Senior Director Analyst with Gartner. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Sarah and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about how retailers are investing in building out their own fulfillment networks. Can you explain what they're doing? Yeah, it was a couple of interesting stories we saw this week, Dave. Uh, our listeners know that e-commerce is big business, of course, and the logistics side of that equation supports those links of uh, fast fulfillment in the D.C. and then uh, next day or same day delivery over the roads. Um, e-commerce, of course, grew even faster and bigger during the pandemic. And in recent days, we saw some evidence that uh, certain retailers are trying to take those changes into their own hands by creating their own fulfillment networks. Uh, of course, the biggest merchants, your Amazons and Walmarts and Targets, have been building those blocks for years. But yesterday, we heard that a company much smaller than those guys, um, the clothing retailer American Eagle Outfitters, bought its own 3PL, third-party logistics provider. So American Eagle had been a client of a 3PL called Quiet Logistics, which is the sister company of Locus Robotics, which our listeners might remember as uh, they were founded by the same people and they used the same uh, autonomous mobile robots. So American Eagle decided that instead of being Quiet's client, it would become its owner. So it bought the firm for $350 million. And uh, that actually came just a couple months after American Eagle had done the same thing. Uh, they bought another 3PL called Air Terra. So in both cases, um, our listeners should realize that American Eagle said it does not plan to take those 3PLs off the market to operate them privately, uh, only for its own goods. Uh, 
sort of like Amazon did when it bought Kiva Robotics back in 2012, but rather American Eagle will run them uh, continually, but both as independent businesses and continue recruiting new clients uh, to build out their uh, scale of operations. So that's the fulfillment side of e-commerce. Do you see the same thing happening on the delivery side? Exactly so. Um, on, on Friday, we heard that another closing retailer, uh, Abercrombie & Fitch, had launched same-day delivery service uh, across all of its 450 U.S. stores through a new deal. Now, it's, it's a little different because Abercrombie uh, did not acquire a company to enable that capability. Uh, but again, they're uh, taking direct charge of it. So the store said that it would deploy a collection of crowdsourced parcel carriers. Uh, that's instead of relying on the usual folks who drop packages on your doorstep, like your UPS, FedEx, and Postal Service. What Abercrombie will do instead is to expand its delivery service by partnering with four different providers, uh, Uber, Postmates, Shipt, which is a division of Target, and Roadie, which is a division of UPS. So those providers are all in the gig economy. They use part-time drivers or full-time uh, to deliver packages in the same way that we're all used to hailing an Uber or a Lyft car. Uh, but it'll let Abercrombie have a lot more control over its delivery operations than if it relied on the traditional carriers, uh, some of whom are coping with peak season volume booms by capping the number of packages they'll accept from certain shippers uh, and also by raising their rates. So those are two different examples of ways that retailers are trying to deal with the e-commerce explosion and with the rising costs of providing logistics uh, by taking matters into their own hands. Well, it'd be interesting to see if they're successful with those initiatives. Thanks, Ben. And Victoria, you wrote this week about how third-party warehouse providers are seeing increasing order volumes. What more can you tell us? That's right, Dave. Yeah. So our supply chains continue to handle record volumes and third party logistics warehouses or 3PL warehouses are feeling much of the strain. Uh, a recent survey of 200 of those companies, uh, 3PL warehouses, showed that 85% of them have experienced order volume growth this year alone, with nearly a quarter of them reporting growth of more than 50%. So really in, uh, high, strong, increasing volumes there. And at the same time, these 3PLs are experiencing a host of other challenges as we've been discussing these last several weeks and months. You know, they're operating at or above warehouse capacity with some of the lowest warehouse vacancy rates in history. And alongside really considerable supply chain backlogs and a workforce shortage that's left many with higher labor costs anyway and fewer people to address the higher volumes they're experiencing. Uh, the survey also found that nearly 50% said they are struggling to find and retain qualified workers while also facing what they call significantly increasing labor costs. I should say this survey was conducted by warehouse management systems provider uh, 3PL Central. Well, that seems to echo the supply chain delays and disruption we've been reporting on over the past several weeks. Did the survey also address how 3PLs are handling the stress? Yes, um, and as is often the case, uh, technology and automation are playing a big role. 84% of the 3PLs surveyed said they have implemented a WMS as the central hub of, of technology for their business, and that they have three or more systems integrated into that WMS. That includes things like shopping carts, marketplaces, order management systems, and things like that. I should also mention that another study out this week reinforces the high volumes flowing through 3PL warehouses. 
the Monthly Logistics Managers Index Report, or LMI, which is uh, a report that gauges economic activity in transportation and warehousing, showed that the industry continued its extended run of expansion in October. LMI researchers said the industry has been in considerable expansion mode for the past nine months, driven by you know, unabating consumer demand and a transportation and warehousing crunch that continues to drive up costs. To put this in perspective, um, on the LMI scale, a reading above 50 indicates economic expansion, and a reading below 50 indicates contraction. And for the past nine months, the LMI has remained above the 70-point mark, which, again, the researchers say indicates just very strong uh, growth and expansion across the industry. What this really means is that demand for logistics services just continues to intensify. Um, and as we've been reporting for the past several months, the outlook calls for more of the same uh, through the end of this year and into 2022. So I think you'll continue to see, um, you know, people applying technology and other, other um, efforts to really try and address this problem. Yeah, well, it's definitely a healthy industry, provided we can handle all the volume that is demanded now. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Again, our thanks to Sarah Watt of Gartner for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you also to check out our new 11-part limited podcast series from CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly on the top 10 supply chain threats. This week, we address the labor shortage, and in following weeks, we will devote segments to other critical threats to our supply chains. Search on your favorite podcast platform for the top 10 supply chain threats to subscribe. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Rider, the only fully integrated logistics and transportation provider in the industry. Rider solutions cover the entire supply chain, including warehousing, transportation logistics, e-commerce fulfillment, and last mile. Discover how Rider can make you ever better at Rider.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we will discuss strategies to counter rising cargo thefts. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.